All right, let's try this again. Welcome everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this audio only version of Truth Warrior today. I wanted to test out this new live Podbean app. So uh, I see a few people jumping in. Welcome. I uh, just wanted to give you guys a little update on some of the things I'm working on and what you can expect coming very soon to my platforms here is I've been very, very focused over the last few months. It's actually been ongoing for quite a bit, taking a little longer than I anticipated, but I'm putting together this premium presentation called The Occult Conspiracy. And uh, so that kind of stuff is on my mind right now, which is why I'm going to cover just some of the basics, some of the notes that really feed into it. I'm not going to give too much away on the overall presentation here, but we do have a lot to go through. I got tons of notes open and links and books and all kinds of good stuff that I can reference. And I'd love to see your guys input in the comments as well. And um, yeah, we're talking about one of the biggest subjects you could roll into one podcast, cults, masonry, and secret societies. And I've done stuff on the past in the past on this, obviously, this is sort of ongoing, but I always like coming back because I keep the research going. Also, world events keep unfolding. We learn more. I bring guests on my show. I learn more every time, you know, and this is just how it goes. So the research is always evolving. And it's one of those things that you've got to roll around a little bit in your head. You got to, hello, Lemon. Good to see you. Um, we got, you got to kind of look at it from different angles, keep coming back to it, keep going back to the original sources and books and information, contrast it with new information. It's always unfolding. So that's why this kind of stuff never really gets old. And I'm always inspired to do it because in both the mainstream normie world and even the alternative research community, there's so much ignorance about the, the real top shelf research in this regard. There's, there's the levels to this game. This is my opinion. This is what I've discovered anyways. Okay. Is that there's levels to this game and very few people stick with it long enough and stay on the trail long enough to really untangle all the knots and the questions and the apparent contradictions that you're going to run into. And the whole time you're trying to research and gather information, you're getting shot in the back by all sides because these kind of subjects trigger everybody even though what it should trigger is your curiosity that's really my goal with these podcasts and maybe i should say a little bit about that before we get into it especially as people are jumping in and welcome everybody good to see you thanks for jumping on pod being with me today uh, this archive will also go out on itunes automatically if you prefer that platform um, we're going to keep it audio only today and uh Two reasons I wanted to test out Podbean, and the other reason is I was just doing some jujitsu rolling, and I took a fingernail dig right into the face, and so I'm kind of bandaged up right now. I had to stop some bleeding, so I'm going to have a little gouge in my face for a little bit, but it's just the nature of the sport, and it's all good. So quick recap, um, we've got Occult Conspiracy coming out. It's going to be Truth Warrior Premium. I want to thank all of my Truth Warrior Premium subscribers. You guys have no idea how much it, it means and helps to keep uh, independent researchers like myself going. Please support the alternative media and your favorite people in any way you can. Support their sponsors. If you can't financially support or you can't subscribe, I totally get that. Times are tight. The best thing to support is to just share it out. Share out all this free content. Um, it really helps. That's the real mission. 
these are just sort of the, when I do these premiums, these are just sort of the bonus of people, you know, for people that want to go down into the nitty gritty details of everything. Uh, that's what those are for. And that's what I'm going to be doing in this presentation. It's going to have to be multiple parts because I'm not even halfway through and I've already got over 90 slides. And uh, so, yeah, lots to look forward to on that. And today we're just going to do a synopsis of it and some of my criticisms of uh, the mainstream nonsense of how they dismiss all of this stuff um, and even some of the stuff I see flying around in the alternative research so-called community that uh, it kind of grinds my gears to see this still these types of things flying around. But hey, it is what it is. But in the end, guys, let's just say this. This is this show, Truth Warrior, for me, is just a place where I can start conversations or start patterns of thought with you, you know, where you're, you're thinking about these subjects, you're interested in these subjects. So am I, I've been doing this a long time. I've gathered a lot of information and research, but I'm still just, I, I still feel like an amateur in so many ways because of just how huge this is. So I don't want you to think that if I'm speaking about any of these subjects in my particular view of it, right? Don't, just take that automatically. You should always formulate your own perspective on these things. Think of it like we're all observing data together. We've got many minds coming in. We all have our inherent biases, our, um, our strengths, our weaknesses, right? We're coming in, we're viewing something. The something that we're viewing today is this whole discussion about power in the world, how we see power getting consolidated at the governmental level, in the corporate world, in the financial world, in the media world. We've been watching this for decades now, right? And it's now on a fast track. It's a faster track than it's ever been to get the most centralized power system put together possible in the shortest amount of time possible. And we see the changes in our government. We see the changes in a lot of things in this so-called new normal that was kicked off in 2020. And those of you who followed my show for a while know that on this show, we know very well that this didn't just start recently. This is a, a long-term thing that has many moving pieces to it. But if you sit back and just look at the data, and I'm going to go through some of that data today. So I hope you guys take some notes and I'll provide some more links and stuff in the, in the chats as we go. Um, just take it as I, as if you've never seen it before, you've never studied this subject before. We're just coming here, looking at it, observing it, following up on these trails, and then seeing how all this information I'm going to go through in this show, in other shows, um, how is it relevant to what's happening to us in this world right now with all this criminality and tyranny and censorship and all these woke issues and, you know, what's really going on behind all of this, right? The push for centralized power grabs by government and corporate monopolies as well. And the question for me has always been, how organized is it? How deliberate and intention, intentional is it, this consolidating mechanism of power in the world? And does it have anything at all to do with the world of secret societies, the occult, and some of these uh, hidden orders that many of the elites of the world like to fly in and out of? And that is what really got me going a long time ago is to say, hey, is there anything actually to any of this conspiracy stuff? 
And I just want to say that when I listen to the critiques coming from various professor, professors or intellectuals or the media pundits and journalists that try to attack this subject, <clears throat> I can't help but sometimes agree with some of their criticisms. The main criticisms not being that they're obviously going to dismiss any level of conspiracy, criminal conspiracy happening at the governmental corporate level, especially because the government and the corporate level that we're going to look at, there's forces behind them and they are the number one financiers and promoters of these smaller media companies and even academic uh, research grants and universities and everything else. So you, you already automatically understand that when you're dealing with intellectuals and these classically trained journalists who are now operating more as activists for various causes and basically being mouthpieces for this one seasoned narrative that we're being presented with on every single issue. That's what the media is. That's what these academicians are, is they're basically spokespeople on behalf of the most powerful agencies, institutions, corporations, and governments in the world. And so they are institutionalized in their thinking. They were raised in institutions. They were educated in these institutions. Think of even when I was doing my critical work of the medical complex with Cult of the Medics which is another project I'm working on. I'm just trying to work on this chapter 10, which should be coming out hopefully before the end of the summer, if not by fall, for sure. Um, where in that series, I always have to say, I'm not here to critique every single doctor, nurse, medical person, or even every night of Malta or whatever. Um, but we are looking at the, the rotten aspect of it. We're looking at the part of it that became corrupt that turned it into something that I think is very nefarious and is, uh, needs to be um, investigated, audited. There needs to be scientific moratoriums. There needs to be open debate amongst uh, experts, right? All these different things that we try to point out. Um, I try to keep it where we're not trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater with any of this stuff. We're trying to stay reasonable in our, our researching of this. So that's why I keep telling you, just look at the data objectively. Just ask yourself, you know, does it ring true? Is there enough evidence to support it? Um, is there at least enough evidence when you get into these subjects to support a further inquiry into it? Maybe that's the best place to start. Maybe we try to jump the gun and think we've got to crack the whole case. I don't think you're going to crack the whole case. I've been trying for 20 years and I haven't cracked it. And many scholars that I look up to that taught me everything I know have, you know, got pieces of it. Nobody has the whole thing. It's just so vast. And you also got to be careful of uh, making wrongful accusations or generalized two dimensional accusations against entire groups, entire orders, entire organizations, right? Just throwing it all out. Um, entire bodies of knowledge or whatever. So if you come to this show, you'll know that I am uh, trying, I don't, I don't want to come from an extremist point of view on every issue. I just want to highlight the fact that here is all the smoke, all these pieces of evidence, all these seemingly disconnected, random things that when you put it together, you start to realize, oh, there's something causing all of the smoke. There's something causing all of this suspicion. There's something behind it. There's something true to it. And then we have to keep trying to figure out what's the actual, you know, what is the fire? Where is it? Who started it? <laughs> who's, who's stoking it? And what's their true agenda? So I hope that intro wasn't too garbled. Give some people some time to come in.
I just want to say, hey, Andy, hey, Lemon, hey, MDMD 2019, a bunch of numbers and letters. Uh, (laughs) Welcome, everybody. Um, And I'll bet you more people will pick this up in the archive because this is the first time I've ever gone live on this platform. So that's all right. Uh, What I'll do is I'm going to go through, guys, and I believe there is a call-in feature that is available. I have checked it green. Um, So as I'm going, I'm going to let me do my Prezzo here. I hopefully won't be too, too long. Um, and then I'll let you guys know if you want to jump in and ask a question, make a comment, shout your disagreement, whatever it's going to be, just be respectful. We'll make it quick if there's a bunch of people. Um, and I'll see if we can fit in some back and forth. And I also just want to test in this call-in feature that is uh, pretty cool. And I don't have a call-in feature really on my other program. So this will be interesting. So where to begin here? Well, let me give you some of the statements. I think I've, I don't know if I did this in a previous podcast a few years ago or not, but it's helpful. I, I just am going through some of my notes here and I'm going through some of the statements by journalists and authors and, and intellectuals that, um, that are making criticisms of anybody that's conspiratorial, specifically if you come from a particular political perspective that's centered around a balanced view of individual freedom, private property rights, free speech rights, et cetera, maybe more traditional, a little bit more on the conservative end of things, or what you might call classical liberals, which where the hell are they? Liberalism today has been totally uh, changed as has, you know, conservatism in many ways, but regardless, they make the accusation, they're trying to frame the rebuttal to anybody that's challenging the status quo, anybody that's challenging the media narratives and all the stuff going on and what the, what Trudeau is saying and all these people, right? What Klaus Schwab is talking about or what Greta Thunberg's on about anybody that's going, hold on. I got some questions. What's going on. What's, what's with these interesting connections to major, you know, corporations that are corrupt and you know, what's, what's with the contradictions in your arguments, anybody that does that on COVID, on climate, on politics, on wokeism, on, whatever, masonry, cultism, uh, you're put into a right-wing conspiracy basket. This is what the media would like you to believe. And of course, we know the media is mainly um, left-leaning, all the media, okay? And that wouldn't necessarily be a problem if leftism was in any way, shape, or form close to its roots, where it was supposed to be the watchdog of major media corporations and all the people I'm talking about, right? If that, if that side of the fence politically um, had, had been more active on that front instead of kowtowing to those very forces, uh, then you wouldn't need people like me to come from the outside of both political sides to say, I'm trying to be apolitical here, even though, yeah, I definitely have my political perspective of what I think would be the most efficient way to manage human affairs. And I'm going to have a little bit of this and a little bit of that thrown into it like everything else. But This is all beyond politics. That's the truth. What we're talking about here with a conspiracy to consult and conspiracy, meaning a criminal secret agenda that violates constitutions of various countries, which is the law of various countries. And that is looking to actually destroy the foundation of various countries, their cultural identity, their political identity, uh, and weave 
all of us into this new global superstructure run by a bunch of technocratic elites that you don't get to vote in, you don't get to criticize because then there's the censorship machine to back it all up. When we see this kind of stuff happening, to me, this is apolitical. This is, this is not a left issue, a right issue. This is not an issue of I'm a Catholic, I'm a Protestant, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Jew, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm gay, I'm straight. Like all those divisions that the, uh, the, the, the materialists and the woke mob would want you to jump into. Um, and by the, I'm talking more about the Marxist types, right. That are looking to split everything into all these factions and divide us more than anything else. Um, they would only love for you to believe that this was only uh, on one side of the political aisle here, but I've got authors on this subject that talk about the exact same data and they come from different political sides of the aisle, right? I got books on this stuff that come for those people that are like, well, I, I went into a Masonic lodge and I didn't see anything shady happening. And I got my third degree and, uh, you know, it's all just a bunch of bollocks, all this Freemasonic conspiracy stuff. Right. So, you know, don't worry, my friend, I've got boatloads of books written by insiders from within various lodges over a long period of history, going back to the 1700s that talk about a conspiracy happening within their midst. Okay. And I will be fair and balanced when I do these criticisms of these different uh, orders as well. So I'm just trying to relieve everybody here that when we talk about this, nobody owns this information. This is not just supposed to be relegated to right wingers that are just paranoid schizophrenics and they're always worried about the government or whatever. Right. Um, or on the other side, you know, throwing it all, throwing all of the attacks on Western civilization right now and on the concept of freedom uh, against the left or the right or any political party. We've got to elevate our perspective. And here's why. Because the people that I'm talking about and the people that the researchers that I learned this from are talking about are outside of all of that. They don't identify with any of the common marketplace, political, religious, or social affiliations. They created those for you. That's my reading of it. They created it or they hijacked organic movements in those areas and turned them into exactly what they're doing to your media, your government, your, your everything. They turned it into one basket to capture everybody and never tell you the full story. So these people are internationalists and globalists, meaning they don't believe um, in national sovereignty or the sovereignty of the individual. They are collectivists. That's their baseline philosophy. And if you want more on that, please go check out the new Plandemic 3 film where they did a good job uh, featuring G. Edward Griffin on that subject. He's the expert on it, and they did a great job of summarizing it for beginners, for people that maybe know a little bit about it, I thought it was really well done. Or you can go to even some of the past interviews that I've done with Geo Griffin. Uh, actually, Josh Reed and I on Earth Chronicles recently hosted Geo Griffin and had a talk about all this stuff. So that's a really good one. I also had him on Unslaved. For those that follow me on the Unslaved podcast, um, we did some great stuff on there as well. So just to put that aside, there is no political affiliation here. You can be from any political, any, any category of human being, and you can look at this and go, 
there's definitely something going on. Okay. And this is about humanity, all humans from whatever stripes you come from, whatever worldview you have, all humans, this is relevant to all humans. And we need to talk about this in a way right now and take the higher road, in my opinion, that's going to break down divisions amongst all of us, the people who are victims of these criminal syndicates that I believe do mold and shape many, not all, but many major events, uh, major things that are happening and take advantage of even naturally occurring events that happen to work towards a particular business model that they want for the human farm that if you read the fine print of it, you wouldn't go for it no matter what political party or religion or whatever you come from because you're a human being. When you read the fine print and you look at the actions of these people as well throughout history and even right now, who gives a shit what political side of the aisle you're on? The question is a question of morality, a question of the ability to have pattern recognition, which is a very integral part of logic, the basic logic centers of your brain and how it works to be able to look at patterns and see obviously that there's connective tissues, but then to also have the mechanism in your mind where you're not going to jump to conclusions on every little thing you see. This is another massive flaw in our movement is it's the, uh, you remember that show office space, that movie office space, one of my favorites. Uh, and this one dude in there is he invented this thing called the jump to conclusions, Matt. <laughs> and it was like a horrible invention. And that was the comedy of the film in that part. And I often think of that, the jump to conclusions, Matt, this is what is the bane of the research community right now is that there's everybody's everybody with everybody's opinion is coming in here, reading things for five minutes and then jumping to conclusions and then marching off and telling other people a very distorted, garbled, uh, version of this story that we're going to go through and it's doing more harm than good. So watch that as well. There's extremes. There's going to the point of ignorance of any kind of criminality or conspiracy or, you know, hidden agendas at work in the world and going, no, that's all just bullshit because it's all far right fringe conspiracy theories. And then the other extreme of everything is that every single thing, every single person in any of these institutions or whatever is part of this. Uh, knowingly and all that. And so again, this is where I come in and go, let's try to find a balanced view of it. And then, Hey, if you keep researching and you find the actual damnable evidence that's irrefutable, that, you know, one of those things ends up being true, then here power to you. The truth is all that matters. But when you first approach this and also when you discuss this, I'm also trying to show you guys when I do these presentations and these shows, I'm trying to help just from the years of experience I've had sparring about this, <laughs> I've had a lot of sparring time in on the, on these types of, uh, points and these subjects, uh, spar, you know, in the chat rooms, conversations with people, full blown debates on things. Like I've done this for a while. So from that, I'm just trying to say, here's some of my recommendations about your, your entry, how you're going to enter into these conversations with people to get them curious about it and say, Hey, First of all, never tell them that there's a definitive final word on it that only you know, or only some guy that made a YouTube video that you like knows, right? Don't appeal to that authority. Just say, keep it very chill. Like I'm doing right now. Hey, I found some very interesting information that I've never, I didn't know about. 
You know, put yourself in their position. They didn't, they've never seen this stuff before. The reason they're going to have a knee jerk reaction to this stuff and start laughing you out of the room and then going along with what the media is going to tell them about it is because first of all, they secretly just don't want this to be true. So there's an inner psychological resistance to this being true to begin with. So you're going to have to really climb up a hill with a bunch of rocks falling your way in order to prove it to a, a resistant mind. Okay. So that's the one obstacle you're going to come up with. And the other obstacle is that you're, you might turn people off of even being curious about it by not fanning the flames of their curiosity and instead being too assertive about it, too anxious and controlling about it and too dogmatic about it. That's a turn off. Okay. So the people that are in our movement that act and behave like that with literally everything is doing a disservice to the overall goal of trying to open up people's minds so that more knowledge can be gained and that we can actually try to get to some real solutions of this, of, of what we're going to talk about. Cause trust me, it ain't pretty the situation that we're in. And I don't think a lot of people even know the gravity of the situation that they're in. And so if we're going to communicate it, I always harp on this. You're the calmest one in the conversation. You're the diplomat. You take on the mindset of a diplomat. You don't meet people where you're at when you discuss this information. You have to meet them where they are at. You have to concede some points here and there. You have to talk about it in a way like, tell me like I'm five. Tell me like I'm 10 years old. What was it that woke you up? I'll guarantee you it wasn't just some earth shattering information that you went, oh my God. I'll bet you anything, somebody first stoked your curiosity. Before the facts came in to back any of this stuff up, it was the fact that you were, you heard enough not to jump on it right away and go, oh, it's all true, but just to go, it's, yeah, there's something to that. That's, it's, they're curious. I'm getting you curious. Ancient mysteries, ancient, right? So that's a good way to go because it is fascinating. This is one of the most fascinating subjects to discuss the history of human criminality, the history of it's good. And it's going to be a history of all the good stuff too, right? Don't forget there's been resistances to tyranny resistances from without the outside, the lodge doors of these cults and fraternities and secret orders and elite circles. There's been insiders from without and insiders from within people that have, uh, spoken about this from all angles for, for hundreds of years, right? Like one of the books I'm going to be getting into, I won't get into it in this show, but I'm going to be getting into it in this new Prezo is uh, Proofs of a Conspiracy by John Robinson, which was written in like, what, 1794, I think. So we're talking hundreds of years uh, since basically the founding of America. You could start there. You could even go back earlier than that. But, you know, it's a, it's a huge, huge subject to get into, right? So don't overload people with too much. I hope I'm not doing that now. <laughs> I hope I don't do that today. Um, I know most of you guys, if you're listening to this show, you're probably fairly seasoned or at least have been introduced to this stuff. And if you're new, welcome. I'll do my best to explain all these things, but please show me in the chat with questions. If you have questions as we go or whatever, but, uh, we gotta just, I just wanted to open up the show with that as people are joining us that, uh, we just have to do a better job at communication and making sure that when we talk about these points, that we bring the evidence behind it.
Don't focus too much on the speculative, especially in the beginning. It's important to speculate. It's important to theorize. Everybody does it, including the mainstream, even though they like to pretend that they, they don't and they're just infallible sources of everything. Uh, you have to, but when you're introducing this to new people, because there's a lot of new people now that are questioning everything, right? This is a good time to talk to them about it. You have to be the voice of reason and the voice of curiosity and the voice of here's the facts. Go follow up on it and look at the facts and then make up your opinion from there. And if, you, if you're acting as a, like a friend to that person that you might look at as being like the sleepiest sleeper of them all and it must be frustrating, right, to, to see all the people that are resistant to this, but just put that aside. It's not about winning. It's not about proving anything. It's not about that. Release the attachment to that because all you can do for people is show a doorway, show a window to crawl through, give a little thread here, a little piece there. And there's something about us humans that we have a good intuitive knowing of what's true and what's not. We have a good bullshit detector when we're sharpening that and being conscious of it and, and actually listening to it. I believe we all have that built within us, but we often, most people out there are turning the volume up of other things in their mind to block out that intuitive, um, instance that might get them to go, yeah, there is something I got to look into here. And so you don't just hit them with all these facts and everything you hit them with common sense things, questions. You're like a friend to them. You're holding their hand. You're saying, hey, let me show you this book. It's really good. He made some really interesting points. And then I went and looked up some of the names and the dates of events and the, the book was talking about. And lo and behold, it's accurate. If so, what are the implications of that on this particular worldview? You know, pick your example. And this way you're not being too aggressive with them on it. And so I hope uh, I'm just giving you some friendly advice on how to break this down for especially new people that are curious about this. All right. All that is out of the way. Let me get back to what I was going to show here. So we got some of these journalists and people in the academic world that always kind of give you the same criticisms. Uh, Michael Desarian and I did a few podcasts. You can find it in my Podbean uh, history archive here. If you just look in the search of my Podbean channel and you find um, you can either just look up Michael Tessarian because it's those episodes, or you can look up the psychology of conspiracy deniers. We did a few episodes on this and my favorite one is the second one because we took to task, uh, a Canadian professor who I just so happened to tune into a live stream he was doing at a university on the subject of conspiracy theories. And he made all these points and you know, did all the same thing. So what we did with Michael is we went in and the way they always like these magazines and all these guys try to talk down to us, the average common people doing this research is, um, that we don't know what we're talking about. We don't have the degrees. There's sort of like certain things that they like to use as the whipping posts of their arguments to try to demean all people that are looking into this. Like basically anybody that's not listening to them is a radical conspiracy theorist. That's kind of how, that's the vibe you start to get. But there's very particular accusations they give people that are looking into cults, secret societies, and, and conspiracy stuff like this. And we did a good job, I think, in that show of 
taking them to task and actually shining the light of psychology back on them. You want to talk how they like to do psychology. Like you go to psychology today, psychologytoday.com and you start typing in conspiracy theory, right? Like here, I'm going to do it right now just to give you a fresh example. Psychology today, just go to their site. You can follow along if you're listening. Uh, let's go to their search and just type in conspiracy theories. Let's see what pops up. There you go. Conspiracy theories explained. Personality and conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories, epistemology and entertainment. Uh, paranoia and the roots of conspiracy theories. Can conspiracy theory beliefs be treated? Wow. Banning conspiracy theories will never work. Understanding the psychology of conspiracy theories. COVID brings a pandemic of conspiracy theory. Dude, like it's on and on and on. All right. And I don't want you guys to shy away when you're researching this subject. Go listen to the critiques. Go listen to the rebuttals. Hear them out. And then go through with a fine tooth comb. Compare to the actual data and i'll i've given it for years in my shows and i'll give as much as i can here but there's so many resources for you now uh go compare it to the data and see if their argument still holds up at the end because here's the thing about these refuters is aside from the fact that they're probably just paid shills for various organizations and governments and whatever corporations or even secret societies make no mistake about it they have their own writers and they own entire publishing companies they invented most of these publishing companies so you know they've got the press all right let's give them that they're very good at generalizing things and this is going to be, I'll tell you right now, if your friend or family member that's telling you, you're just a crazy wacko for even entertaining any of this shit, there's nothing happening. Uh, if you're talking to that kind of person, you'll notice that they are just going to repeat to you the opinion that was sown into their minds by these professional propagandists that know how to generalize subject matter. So then their belief, which was given to them, it wasn't earned on their own by the type of investigation and open-mindedness that I'm hoping all of you listening have in this field. It was obtained by memorizing and repeating what some academic told them or what Sam Harris told them or what their favorite guy on some popular podcast told them about how they shouldn't even worry about conspiracy because it's all a bunch of nonsense, right? And it's, it's, it's made up by... And, and here's the other thing, even though they're generalizing, sometimes they make some truthful critiques. This is the hard part to swallow is that you, I sit back and I read some of these critiques and I'm kind of like, yeah, you have a point there. However, let's get into the fine print and the data and the really nitty gritty of it and see if in the end, the argument that there is no conspiracy happening, especially the kind that we're getting into, which is Today, specifically, the idea of installing a uh, global centralized superpower, not for the benefit necessary to benefit you, the average person, but to benefit the few, so that there could be power consolidation, okay, and, and dominant control over land resources, wealth, and human minds. That, to me, is the prize. It's always been the prize. The people engaged in that kind of conspiracy, in quotes. They might believe themselves to be virtuous people doing what's necessary to save the world. And in fact, the utopian mindset is extremely strong 
in these revolutionary movements and groups that were mostly funded and fomented in by secret societies and in the behind the doors of secret societies for hundreds of years. And then they come out to the political world and then out into the social world. So, you know, when you're getting specific, that's when their argument falls apart. But do pay attention to the general critiques of, you know, they often pictorialize the conspiracy theorists as this foaming at the mouth, rabid dog that's just barking and screaming and shouting and fighting and, uh, you know, it just it, paranoid, schizophrenic on every little thing, jump to conclusions, Matt, the whole thing. Yeah, there's a lot of that that goes on. And I'll critique that alongside them, okay? But I always have a, however, that said, that ain't the whole thing. That's just the amateur level of conspiracy research. That's just the sort of people that take a few glances, see a few videos, and then try to reconstruct the whole picture using their imagination. And they don't really have any facts and they don't have emotional stability in order to be able to deliver it eloquently and calmly and rationally with facts and evidence. So dismiss those guys. That doesn't mean there's nothing to be seen here just because we got a bunch of whack jobs doing a bad job misrepresenting greater minds and greater research than they probably even understand. So there's that problem, but it doesn't discount the fact that there's absolutely a global conspiracy to centralize power and enslave humanity to a small few. That is the first place to go. That's kind of been the agenda for <laughs> thousands of years. It's just different now. And that's why I kind of like sometimes when I talk to people, if they're more, you know, uh, they come out of the sort of university cloth, you know, that kind of person. I don't always get into the nitty gritty on conspiracy because that word triggers them too much. Like if you say conspiracy too many times, they're already like, ah, this guy's full of shit. Cause that word is loaded. Even secret societies. We say, oh, secret societies. Like everybody goes, ooh, it's <laughs> a cool Hollywood production here. And uh, this is interesting until you try to tell me it's actually real. And then I'm checking out. So sometimes I try to find different terms just to shake up the, the mind control that's sort of formed and calcified around the term because we know what they did to these terms. They weaponized them with media propaganda. So now when you say, I got some questions about this new COVID jab. Because I had a friend of mine not wake up after taking it. And so I got questions, right? And then they're like, you're a crazy conspiracy theory, flat earther, whatever. You think everything's a conspiracy. And you're like, no, no, hold on. I just, I didn't even go there. I'm just asking about this one thing. It just seems a little weird, you know? Um, it seems a little weird that we got Pfizer executives admitting under oath that they didn't test for whether it was going to stop transmissibility and yet they told the world that it would. And so I just asked weird contradictions. I got some questions on that. And then they immediately try to throw you in a basket with every other crazy conspiracy theory. So the reason I'm going to spend so much time on this guys and looking at the time, this will probably be a longer show today um, is because I think it's just important. We get better with the way we communicate it. That's the, that's going to make the difference. That's going to make the difference. And then knowing how to counter this, I was just doing a, a jujitsu session and I'm really trying to rebuild my, my specifically my gi grappling game. It's been a while since I focused on that. I'm more of a mixed martial arts guy, right? Kind of not a, not a specialized expert in one area, but I kind of generalize on everything and I'm trying to like hone in and just really, um, update and, and refine and sort of rebuild my jujitsu guard and the way I attack it. And, you know, if you don't do martial arts, you could think of any 
sport or even video game or whatever that has a strategy to it where you're trying to refine your strategy. And what are you trying to do when you're trying to refine a strategy? What have these geopolitical elites that I'm talking about, the corrupt ones anyways, what, what do they do? They do the same thing. They work and work and work and refine their strategy. What do professional propagandists do? They refine the strategy of oratory and communication. You know, what did the CIA do and all these intelligence agencies do when they were investigating how human psychology worked so that they could manipulate it against their will and make them believe things they otherwise wouldn't believe? What were they trying to do in the beginning? It was probably not working. How did they achieve some mastery in this occult science of mind control and mind manipulation? They refined their strategy over time and they eliminated the things that didn't work and replaced them only with the things that work. See, because the whole goal of any endeavor to communicate information and actually help assist in any area or to grow or develop anything is you have to work on it tirelessly and eliminate the untrue elements of it. This was very strong from Krishnamurti, who was talking about the process of coming to the truth on anything, right? The process of coming to the truth and I know even that word triggers people, but you know what I mean. The actual reality of a thing, the effect, the, the fact that something actually works, right? And is real and tangible and provable and valid and based in reality. When you're trying to find the truth, you can't always get it directly. You can't get directly to the truth. Why? Because your own psychological defense mechanisms are going to pop in the way because the truth is oftentimes not what we want things to be. It's usually different than what we want things to be. Usually, the truth usually contradicts human belief systems, right? So you're going to have defense mechanisms popping up, stopping you from your pursuit of the truth. And so what do you do as a strategy, just as an individual trying to think your way through these things? Because trust me, when you go on this rabbit hole of researching the stuff we're talking about here on this show, you're going to confront numerous doubts and contradictions and things that don't make sense. And, and your own worldview is going to be challenged constantly. But what happens over time is you refine it and you get better at it. You get, you get rid, you trim the fat. And this is what Krishnamurti's point was. You get rid of what's not true. And then you're only left with the truth. So getting to the truth, getting to a success in anything, like when I was using my jujitsu example, it's not good. You can't just go from A to Z. You have to filter it, refine it, remove the obstacles, remove the incorrect or inefficient ways of, of acting and replace it with correct ones that the reason they're correct and you know they're correct is because it proves itself out in the end in being correct. It becomes obvious. That's actually why I love martial art training is you get an immediate feedback. You get immediate feedback as to whether or not what you're doing is working and is correct and true or whether it is not. You can think all day that the way you're setting up your move is the way to do it. And you can believe it and you can start podcasts defending it. You can go around and preach the gospel of the way you, you set up that move. But if it breaks down in front of any level of scrutiny from people that know what they're doing, if you don't go back to the drawing board and adapt to it, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're not going to succeed and you have a choice. You can either keep lying to yourself and lying to everybody else, or you can fix it and be part of the truth now 
And that's why it's successful. It's successful because it's true. It's not successful. It's the false. So you eliminate the false to be left with the truth. Okay. Key important thing here. Same with this subject. This is the level that they never will go to these critics of this movement and of this research. They never go here because it would start their undoing of their argument immediately. Because the minute you look at the evidence, it's undisputable. It's right in our faces. Okay. I shouldn't even have to do this podcast, but I'm doing it because I know we got a lot of new people, a lot of young people, and I'm hearing their questions. And I, I go out and I talk to people and I see what's going on in the chats. And I'm, I'm sitting there taking notes the whole time thinking, how can I refine my delivery and make it better? You know, how can I try to explain this even better? So with that, they'll say things like, you know, proven conspiracies very often involve a banality and institutional disorganization that is conspicuously missing from the average conspiracy theory in which countless numbers of conspirators from multiple organizations are able to march in evil lockstep ad infinitum. So the reason I'm going to use this one is uh, because he actually makes a good point here, but we'll show where if he's going to use it in general to all conspiracies, that's where the fallacy is. So proven conspiracies very often involve a banality and institutional disorganization that is conspicually missing. So he's admitting that there are proven conspiracies, but he's basically saying what happens in these conspiracy theory movements, and it does happen, they blow up the evildoers and the conspirators to these mythological heights of competency that makes it impossible to believe some of the more outlandish conspiracies. Okay. Now, Hey, take that point and go, all right, fair point. I do see that happening in some areas. However, there are reasons that that argument actually doesn't stand in all cases. Like if we were to take the example of, okay, there's a conspiracy to create a world government, a centrally controlled world government, which will drastically reduce your voice in your, the way your government is going to treat you, which if we use historical examples of where this was tried on a local national level, i.e. socialist, communist, fascist, totalitarian states, of which there are hundreds of examples, go back through the medieval times and before as well, right, to feudalism, there's hundreds of examples of where this goes wrong. In those scenarios, there are many numbers of conspirators that are actually acting in concert with the initial conspiracy, let's just call it that, meaning the hidden agenda, that there would be a lot of people involved, but there's also the problem of the unwitting, useful idiot agents that are also acting in concert with the conspiracy, i.e., every human being alive during COVID that didn't listen to the facts that were coming out and only watched CBC news and CNN about it. And then went and repeated that and acted accordingly and started shaming people and reporting people and acting like horrible people, like because of their fear and because they got misled by professionals who were sponsored by the very people that benefited from all of this. So you don't need everybody in full knowledge of the entire thing. If you understand, human psychology, specifically mass psychology, and how to induce mass formation psychosis, how to create it, how to foment it, how to spread it like a disease. 
You can turn people into automatons. I, all you got to do is control the airwaves. All you got to do is install a censorship regime, which, I mean, the fact checkers didn't exist before 2020. Before people started saying, especially doctors and experts and people from within these institutions started raising their hand to question what was going on. So that disproves that little critique in the greater sense, like maybe on an individual, if we could sit here and go through all the list of every conspiracy ever thought about or ever invented, um, we could pick and choose and go, okay, this one actually does fit this description. This one doesn't. The missing ingredient with any of these critiques, and I'm sitting here looking at a whole bunch of them, right? Like here's another one. Conspiracy theories tend to depend on conspirators who are unduly evil with genocide or world domination as a motive. Like that one's easy. That one's easy. Has anybody, let me ask the chat. Has anybody ever, has anybody in history that you can think of, or is there any examples in history where there was a great deal of evil and genocide and world domination on the minds of various totalitarians? Has that ever happened before? Like the way they frame it, conspiracy theories tend to depend on conspirators who are unduly evil with genocide or world domination as a motive. Um, actually, I would say, okay, I'll give you the point that it might not be genocide and world domination as the conscious motive in everybody that's engaged in the conspiracy. Okay, not every Mason, not every elite, not every Baron or Duke or politician or whatever, or financier or guy working for BlackRock or Pfizer or whatever, Silicon Valley. None of that, not, they're probably not thinking about, oh, I'm super evil today and I can't wait to genocide the world and dominate the world. That's not a conscious thing. See, these guys don't get into psychology, so they don't understand that there's also the subconscious world where this is coming from. It, it's like, to explain this one, you think, look at the climate thing or the COVID thing. What's the, what are they doing? They, there's a problem that needs to be solved. This is how this breaks down. There's a problem that needs to be solved. It's, a, it's an urgent threat to all of humanity. Okay. And so in order to solve this urgent threat, steps need to be taken to stop the threat. Okay. So that's sort of the basic framework. Now we get into the nuance of, all right, well, there's different, let's just say, let's give them the benefit of the doubt that the climate change is real and the COVID scare was legitimate to the point that they blew it up to. Okay. Let's just give them all of that benefit of the doubt for a second, that there was legitimate problems going on. We need to deal with, and it's urgent. The, the, where I get into a conspiratorial manipulative element here and to explain this, what this guy's saying, I would say, well, there's multiple voices of different people looking at the problem. Different minds are looking at the problem. Some of them are experts. Some of them are not. Some of them are in institutions. Some of them are not. And they're all putting out ideas on the table of how to deal with it. If we were truly living in a free society, then what would happen is all those options would be shown to the public so that each person could make up their mind as to who's making the strongest case for the solution to this problem. And then the vast majority of people would say, well, this seems to measure out the most. It's got the most evidence and this is where it is and this is where we want to go. But no matter how much consensus you get, whether it's organic or manufactured consensus, there might still be a small group of voices that say, no, you're wrong. 
the, you're totally misreading the numbers. You're totally over amplifying the threat or whatever it is. And so do we as a society not listen to those small voices and, and throw them out or, and, and then not only that, not only do we just are, are, is our society saying, okay, we don't want to listen to the people that are critiquing the mainstream narrative on those two issues. It's beyond that. It's beyond just choosing not to listen to these dissident voices that are challenging it. It's censorship. It's attacks. It's, it gets really crazy. People losing their jobs, losing their tenures, losing their positions simply because they didn't go along with the status quo. And then you pull out a books of history and you realize, oh my God, every major scientific advancement, every major cultural or political or civilizational advancement that actually enhanced human lives and made them better and made people more free and more enlightened came from small dissident voices. It didn't come from packs of collectivist minds that were all in harmony and sync. So the reason they're trying to say, and then you go, all right, so maybe the reason why the conspiracy is often blown up as being always about genocide and world domination when it could be something else is because what else do you conclude when you've got all of this blatant evidence that so much of those narratives has already been torn to shreds and yet the whole world, all the governments of the world, every single one of them, basically, there's only a few examples are marching in lockstep with that one perspective. And there also are some very interesting and shady financial incentives that are being plugged into the mix that could taint that. And so maybe not everybody's in on a dominating the world conspiracy, but they're just following along with the mass psychosis that was introduced. They were following along with what they believe to be true. And so the conspiracy that I'm talking about isn't really happening at that level. That's a byproduct or an effect of the greater conspiracy that I'm talking about the button pushers, the guys that invented this. Like you get into, yeah, I don't want to go on that tangent yet, but just there's levels to it. So these critiques are never going to give you that kind of separation and nuance on the subject. So they put it in a general statement that sounds logical and in many ways is. Yeah, it's true. We hear a lot of crazy stuff about all powerful, monolithic, evil taking over the world. Usually comes from religious minds, right? And so it can get blown out of proportion a little bit and it kind of throws the baby out with the bathwater and a lot of people get caught in the crossfire and you, you start creating general categories and two-dimensional thinking. And yeah, it's, it's kind of blown out of proportion. So there's a fair critique, but does that mean that there's no such thing as a global conspiracy? Does that mean there's no criminality happening at the top levels of all these institutions and governments where these people have endless streams of money, power, the megaphone of the media backing them up and inflating their following numbers and their book sales and everything else. So there's a supportive structure in place in the fabric of all of our institutions that are supporting this one narrative and suppressing any other. And yet the same people that are a part of it are walking past critiquing conspiracy theorists that are just people going, hold on, why are you censoring all these? I want to hear all the opinions and see all the facts. And then they just shout you down and name call you and say, Hey, get in line and, and, and believe what we tell you to believe. Don't think for yourself. You're not competent enough to think for yourself. That's what they're going to tell you. You don't have a PhD. 
You don't sit on a board. You don't have any money. You're in debt, so you don't you don't get a say. You're the poor side of the fence. Just shut your mouth and do what you're told. All the intelligent people in the world will fix everything. That's basically David Rockefeller's mindset when you read his memoirs. We need an unelected intellectual elite to run the world because humans are too stupid. And sometimes I even go, well, you know, I may have a point on some of that, but the the intellectual, how convenient that it's all these you guys. Like it's the same argument with this great reset. If the main slogan of it was you're going to own nothing and be happy, well, who, well, that means somebody still owns everything. It just means we don't own anything anymore, but somebody owns it. Like you think you own your house. No, the bank owns your mortgage and they can seize your house at any moment if you miss a payment. So they kind of own the house. And then even when you pay them off, your home is sitting on crown land here in Canada that could be seized by the government if you if it gets to a point where this government keeps going where it's going. Uh, it can seize your land and property just because they wrote a new law that allows them to do that because you didn't obey climate regulations or you got caught during a so-called pandemic with a barbecue going on in your backyard. And so therefore we're going to seize your property and take your children and freeze your bank accounts. Like for people that think there's no conspiracy to me, it's a conspiracy against freedom. It's a conspiracy against the natural inclinations of every human of human beings. So it's an anti-human conspiracy that is trying to talk us into giving over our land resources, our wealth, our freedom, our thinking, our minds, to this one way of seeing the world. And that's a cult to me. So that brings us to the discussion about cults and why people join them and why people start them and why they're so ubiquitous everywhere in the world. Um, so just wanted to bring those up to say, you know, it's not always people that are involved in the agenda, let's call it, uh, that are that level of psychopath psychopathic evil and are hell-bent on world domination. The vast majority of people involved in the conspiracy I'm talking about, or conspiracies, I see it as sort of an operational model that just happens everywhere more than it doesn't. Um, it, there's so many people that are in it for their own psychological or uh, they want their own shake at the power apparatus. They want their own throne of power. They want to be in the in the manager seat right? But that's about it. They don't have anything beyond that. They're just minions. Now, when you get to the architects of this control system, the organizers, the founders, the think tanks, the elite level, the behind the closed doors that nobody sees, like I've already got loads of stuff of what we can see in the public square, but what has been revealed by various insiders and researchers for a long time now. Imagine what's not seen what's not known. And so what if, what if when we say people who are, we always say these conspirators are evil. Well, what if their definition of what's evil is different than ours? Like to us, it's subjective, isn't it? Sometimes like if they're telling me there's too many human beings running around and we need to shore everything up, create a totalitarian system, turn humans into cyborgs, total surveillance grid and depopulate humanity because there's too many. Well, who is going to be depopulated, controlled and managed in this way? Well, you and me, everybody, right? So to us, 
the people on the receiving end of this ideology, it's evil because <laughs> it's acting against our thriving and surviving, obviously. But to the people doing it, to the owners who own everything, you know, and can break every rule they try to enforce on us, these people, they, to them, it's not evil because it's promoting their success. So the people that are writing, oh, you guys always blow it up to this big evil and it's just too overblown. It's like, yeah, but it is evil from our perspective because we're the one caught in the crossfire. To the people doing it or supporting it, hey, obviously you're on that team and you're going to say, no, 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 you're the ones that's evil for fighting us on this. See what I mean? So I just wanted to kind of pick that apart a little bit. I could keep going on it, but let's get into some of the nitty gritty now. I tell you, we're going to talk about masonry and secret societies. So let me pull up. Um, let me just say this, okay? This is from Stuart Akin, and I put this in one of my old presentations, and I love it. When you're talking about this evil thing, evil people, however you want to use that word, guys, don't let it trigger you, right? Evil people rely on the acquiescence of naive good people to allow them to continue with their evil. Right. And so even though they might not see what they're doing as evil, like did Stalin or Hitler or Mao Zedong or any of these totalitarians ever see themselves as evil? Did they get up in the morning and light a cigar and go, oh, I'm so fabulously evil. Like that's not how it works. <laughs> I don't think so. That's like from GI Joe or something like that's not reality. Reality is, these guys think they're the greatest thing since the wheel, all right? They think they are a blessing to this planet. Bill Gates, they all think blessings to the planet. They have a hyper-narcissistic trait that overblows who they are. So I don't have to overblow anyone. They're doing it themselves, okay? Just by watching their behavior, watching how they roll, these people believe that they can take control of the forces of nature and manipulate it better than nature can to produce a positive result. That's another level of narcissism. Okay. Instead of wanting to work with the principles of nature, they're trying to violate it and take it over and recreate it in their own image. So to me, that's evil because it's going against the natural organic flow of nature of which we are a part. And then when they start invading uh, the body with all the technology and the injections and the, all these different things, you know, and you see the, the fallout of that and the constant push for more of it while they're all openly talking about how there's too many human beings running around. Uh, you know, to me, there's a level in them that it might not be that they're consciously thinking, Oh, I just can't wait till everybody's died off and we've achieved our agenda. There's a, there's a subconscious program running underneath the conscious program in order to achieve equality, in order to achieve peace on earth, in order to achieve all of these wonderful things that we all want to have in the world. And yeah, I guess there's a bit of a perk in it for me being that I'll be at the top of the power pyramid and everybody else that survives will be at the bottom. But that's uh, because I'm so good. Because I'm so smart and intelligent, um, that's just the order of things and it justifies 
the bodies and the tears and the suffering and the tyranny that I have to commit in order to achieve this world vision because I am doing it from the best place possible from my heart. You know, like I'm trying to think of how would they justify it, right? When you listen to the Nuremberg trials or you listen to interviews with serial killers or psychopaths, uh, or you watch that documentary corporation where they basically do a psychological profile of corporations and determine that they're mostly psychopathic. Um, you know, you really just listen to the excuse mechanisms that these people give for their actions. You, you listen to the detachment of, of themselves. They're so detached from their actions that they don't even, they're not even consciously aware. Some of these people are doing evil and they're not even consciously aware of it because the thought form that they're not evil is stuck in their head. And that's why I think they overdo. And this is where you see the weakness in, in what they're doing here. They overcompensate on their websites, in their slogans, in the whole thing. They overcompensate with virtue signaling. They overcompensate. There's too much. They go too far. You go to the all these Knights of Columbus, Knights of Malta websites, Red Cross, UN, Club of Rome. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, World Economic Forum, a lot of, you know, the, the top lodges in Europe, in London, Alpha Lodges. You go to their websites and it's just loaded top to bottom with philanthropy, charity, fraternity, unity, diversity, and blah, 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 blah. It's like it's you're overselling it to me, bro. And that's why I'm suspicious. Because I've experienced personally sociopathic manipulative people in my life and that's exactly how they roll there's no honesty it's just pure over embellishment of how great they are and how great the things that they're doing are going to benefit not for themselves of course it's always from the stance of being the sacrificial animal on the altar of the collective i am here to sacrifice myself for the greater mission of the greater good for the greater number. And so you should be supporting what I'm doing and never questioning it. And yeah, maybe there's, you know, something in it for me. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be something in it for people when we're trying to fix problems, but this has gone to a whole other level of just total full-blown narcissistic sociopathy, you know? So that's when I come in and go, well, then I, knowing that that exists, okay, maybe I can't, right now present all the evidence that I think that that trait exists in each and every one of these individuals that we're going to look at, or that say even some of the leaders of many of these secret societies and Masonic lodges and various cults that are themselves like that, right? But just knowing that that does exist, that psychopathy exists, you know, look at many cases of these people that do great evil without any conscience of it. Because the, it's, it's happening on a different level. It's happening on a subconscious level for them. So their conscious mind doesn't even compute what's going on. And they just march on thinking like, like as I'm thinking of Trudeau when, I think, when I'm talking right now. This guy, the stuff that comes out of his mouth about he's like the best thing that's ever happened to this planet because of all his new bills that he's pushing through to try to build equity and all the stuff that they talk about. Um, and then you look at his actions are completely contradictory to any of that. You just can't, you can't resolve that. And you look at it and you just go, wow, like what a dick, like what a narcissist, right? And you think, imagine Trudeau, when I'm thinking of the top of the pyramid, guys, imagine Trudeau, but like a thousand times worse. 
it, I know it's hard to imagine. Okay. Trust me, but it just, that's, that's what we're dealing with. And that's why these people write endlessly in their work about how they're doing this for humanity. We needed to do the conspiracy for humanity. I tried to put the background uh, image of the Podbean chat here for the you can, on the app. You can see it if you're listening on the app on your phone or whatever. And it's the cover of the book, The Open Conspiracy by H.G. Wells. Okay, so this is where you start to take down immediately out of the gate anybody that's going to go, oh, you're saying a conspiracy about cults and masons and stuff. Yep. I know there's a lot of bullshit out there about that. Ignore those people and let's get to the heart of it and get to the real facts and get to the top brass people that have talked about it and exposed it. How about top deans of, prof of universities admitting this? How about top professors? How about dukes and barons and royalty from Europe during the 17 and 1800s exposing this? How about former presidents? How about top executives whistleblowing this? How about top FBI agents whistleblowing this? How about top CIA agents writing entire books about this shit and exposing it back in the 80s? How about former defecting KGB agents coming over to tell you exactly how communism was going to come in conspiratorially and slowly erode the Western mind and then take it over from within over a long period of time, which just so happens to mirror exactly identically the blueprint, the mantra, and the objectives of the Bavarian Illuminati back in the 1700s, which actually did exist, okay? It actually did exist. And then you go on and on, and the, all the examples you can bring up to say it's admitted. And I'm just talking about in the past. <laughs> These characters are, they're from the past. What about what they're admitting to you right now at the World Government Summit? What's it called again? Run that by me one more time, Dave. You conspiracy theorists who think they're trying to start a world government. There's a thing called the World Government Summit. And go who goes to it? A bunch of top sheiks and oil barons from the Middle East and princes. And they meet up with royals and aristocrats from Europe, members of these global international boards, like the World Economic Forum, the UN, World Health Organization, etc. They meet with top influencers in the tech industry, in the media. Look at even, um, for a quick example, look at this event 201 that took place before COVID. Who showed up to it? I don't even care. We don't have to have the meeting notes from that meeting. We don't have to have the camera rolling when they're actually talking about what they're going to do right before they do it. And we actually do have that. But even if we didn't have that, all you got to do is look at the membership list of the people that showed up. Who do we have? Who financed it? John Hopkins University, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the Rockefeller Institute. Okay, interesting. Uh, who showed up to it? Well, we had the director of the Chinese CDC. We had the director of the American CDC. We had uh, members from MSNBC, different major media networks, um, we had, you know, all different types of people from different countries and they all showed up and they did a mock exercise of basically exactly what unfolded months later in the real world. Now you could sit back and make all the excuses and say, well, that's still not proof that that was a conspiracy, that they planned it. 
right? And then that's where you got to start getting the weeds and going through all the data and pulling it all out and just seeing if you can level it up. But you've already presented, in my opinion, enough evidence to say we should be looking into these conflict of interests. We should be looking into that. Like when I was critiquing pharma and the medical institutions, you know what my main thing is, is I go, my issue is that there are many conflicts of interest that exist. There are swing door policies between these major pharmaceutical companies and government agencies. And that's a problem because the government agencies are supposed to be the watchdog to protect the people from any kind of mistakes or even nefarious plots by pharmaceutical institutions, right? So, or fraudulent activity or, or making, you know, a, a product that ends up killing people and they're trying to suppress the data and then more people die. Like it gets pretty insidious pretty quick. And then you have the record of them getting caught and fined and imprisoned over and over again. And yet they're still in business. And people act as if there's, they're acting, when they critique conspiracy, they're acting like there's zero justification for any suspicion. So it's, they're the extremists. That's an extremist position to have. My position is not extreme because all I'm doing is bringing all the documented evidence of where this has happened before and where the same names of people and families and organizations and institutions keep showing up behind a lot of major world events and that we do have many examples of this kind of corruption. So for the world to just suddenly go, oh, or these elite, the government to say, oh, you have to just trust these known liars and criminals without any question. And if you question them, even if you question them, you are basically your life is destroyed. Well, to me that that's not helping you eradicate the disease of online conspiracy theories. It's helping it. It's helping prove that you guys are a bunch of criminals and liars and fraudsters and narcissists and revolutionaries working on behalf of some kind of something else. Cause you're not acting in the light. You're not acting the way a normal benevolent person would act. Goodness and truth doesn't need to hide from anybody. And if the narrative that they're telling you on any one of these issues that you can think of that are happening right now is trying to funnel you into one solution and to ignore all the other voices and to ignore all the critics, maybe some of them are crazy, maybe some of them are wrong, but maybe some of them aren't. They're taking away your choice, your ability to use your own logic and reason to come to an educated conclusion. You're taking that away from you. That to me is an act of conspiracy because it's, it's robbing you of your ability to see the whole picture and make up your own mind. They want you in lockstep thinking. And that to me, it, it was Nick Hudson that did a brilliant little summation of this. I, th I threw it up on my telegram, uh, last week where he was just saying, yeah, you want to know what a scam is? You think scam artists don't exist? Like, could you say scams are conspiracies? Uh, that may be a better word. They're scams. What's a scam? What's a conspiracy? Well, conspiracy is two or more people gathered together to do, uh, to commit an illegal, unlawful or immoral act, you know, under the cover of darkness or, or being, you know, conceal a concealed plan of two agents working together to achieve a plot of some kind. 
conspire just means to breathe together. That's all it means, right? But in the conspire, in that legal definition, it's to breathe together to achieve an illegal criminal operation of some kind or agenda of some kind. That's a conspiracy. A scam would be very similar where usually, I mean, you could have a solo scammer, but you, usually a scam might involve numerous people working together to scam you out of your money or to scam you with ideas that lead you into various cults that are going to probably take your money and worse. And we know we've got a track record of that happening all over the world in all periods of time in history, right up to the present moment. So to just dismiss all conspiracy is ludicrous. That's the, that's the extreme position now, especially when we've got so many of these things being proven now. So I believe that there are evil people in the world, evil meaning corrupted, rotten people that, um, suffer from delusions of grandeur and believe themselves to have the vision of the anointed from on high and are carrying out what in their conscious mind they might believe is what is the best for the world. But in the end, because they're vacant as beings in terms of true wisdom, insight, empathy, knowledge, care, right? When they don't have those features, somebody that has knowledge that is gives them an advantage on the playing field can be very dangerous, especially when they're operating under the presupposition that they're doing some holy work in the world. And how many historical examples do we have of people doing holy work in the world? And it turns out they're trafficking kids and they're drugging people and smuggling people and killing people and sacrificing people, or even just manipulating them and getting them to give them all their money. Or think of this Rainier guy with Nexium and some of these groups branding women as sex slaves and on and on we could go. Right. So it's just to me, when I see people making those extreme statements that they're, they're trying to throw it all out, that to me is a defense mechanism on one hand that they don't want to admit that there's such a thing as human evil and it's more prevalent than it's not. And that it's not just on the low level, us Joe Schmoes who aren't educated that are committing criminal conspiracies. In fact, more times than not, we're talking about the intelligent elite that David Rockefeller was saying should take charge of the ship and that they see you from a smoky room of pie charts and graphs and numbers and data and algorithms. Uh, they have all of this. That's how they see the data that they're looking at when it comes to human lives. And they make decisions that destroy lives, destroy countries and destroy freedom. And definitely you got to destroy the truth in the process. So if that's not a conspiracy, I don't know what is, but it's like, you could call it a scam. Same deal, right? Now, I want to do a little bit here on, um, oh, wait, maybe I should do this bit first. How's, let me check. I haven't even looked at the chat. we got a chat room. How's it going? How's it going? Hello, everybody. Uh, Honeybee, hi, David. What is a conspiracy theory? Yeah, well, I just kind of explained it there. Oh, let's do the theory thing real quick while we're doing this. Let's get it all into the same show. You got conspiracy, con being the root word, the con, you got conned, the conspiracy. The biggest con of them all is to tell you that cons don't exist. And the only people that benefits are the con artists. <laughs> so anyways, and then there's the word theory. This was a beef that I had in uh, that psychology of conspiracy deniers episode I was doing with Michael. 
because we were taking on this professor black guy. And uh, this is another thing I bring up because it's just so, I, I couldn't believe it. I went on this thing and he had a Q&A after he does his little slideshow presentation, which was just riddled with nonsense. Like I could have sat there raising my hand every two seconds, but whatever. Let him say his case. And then he had a little Q&A and I was able to do like a chat version of it. And I threw a question in the chat. I was like, could the professor please kindly define the term conspiracy theory, please? And he did. He goes, well, I said it at the beginning, a conspiracy theory is, uh, you know, basically a bunch of paranoid visions of all this, but in his whole definition of it, of being basically the stuff of whack jobs, the creations of whack jobs. And I went, okay, could, could the dear professor please independently define the term conspiracy and theory so that we can maybe take a look at that. And all he did was go, no, I already did it. So I already did that. Let's move on. And he didn't do that. That's what he didn't do. That's what they never do. Okay. Cause we're the one thing we're, we're trapped in, we're trapped in a matrix of words and terms. So I say conspiracy theory to someone that thinks all conspiracy theories are just the raving, the ravings of mad lunatics and schizophrenic paranoics. And they're going to immediately go, anything coming out of your mouth now is just bollocks. But if I said conspiracy to somebody like you guys listening that might be a little more sympathetic to it and realize, yes, criminality and lying and cons and evil does exist in the world, so we should always be ever vigilant in guarding against that, um, you wouldn't have a problem with the term because it's not weaponized in your mind. But when you take the terms apart and go, well, we're using a language called English and there's definitions to the words and terms that we use in English and we have to have definitions that are universally agreed upon. otherwise like with what's happening right now with the alphabet soup situation, we're changing definitions of words and meanings to the point where everybody's confused, nobody's speaking the same language, and it's literally a Tower of Babel scenario here, which produces nothing but more divide and conquer, and who benefits from that? So, sorry, going on a rant here, conspiracy theory, the other word is theory. Theory is not a negative word. It is not a negative thing to have a theory about something that's happening, especially when you, when I'm sitting here doing these shows and doing this research, a lot of it is theoretical because that's how you come to know the truth about anything is you have to first get your mind into the framework of being able to see the truth at the end of all this information you're looking at. So you have to create theories and speculations on the data you're looking at. So you have the hard data that it takes a long time to bring together. And then you're going to look at the data and start to speculate and go, oh, yeah, I wonder if it's this. Oh, maybe it's that. Oh, I didn't notice it. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Maybe that changes my overall perspective of it. Right. And so that's all I've been doing for the last 20 years, looking at the data that anybody can look at that's irrefutable, indisputable, and I've got it in spades. I'm not dangling off the edge of a cliff by my fingernails with this. I've got a firm grip and a triangle choke on the tree branch. That's how deep in, you know, I got a good grip of this, right? Cause I've gathered the facts, but the speculation and the theory part is when you're trying to figure out who's doing this, what's the real agenda, you know, and some of the pieces are missing from this shattered vase that you're trying to collect all the pieces and glue it back together. So when you take all the pieces and you glue what you got together, you see, and you go, Oh, the vase is blue. And it's got this weird insignia on it. And I can't see the whole insignia, but I can see most of it. And my imagination can fill in the blank 
right? Or I've got shards of a map, an ancient map that I found. I can fill in the blank because I do know a, a little bit about those areas in the world that are maybe missing from the map. You know, take your example. That's the theory. And that's what they're calling, oh, you're just wild spec. And they, the real thing they don't like, especially the academic guys, this was the point Michael made, is he's like, these people are totalitarians in the way they think. They believe that the status quo has the truth and anybody from the outside of the status quo does not. And they don't want you eating from the hand of somebody else when it comes to knowledge. They want you eating only from their hand. That's the media. That's all these people. So to be a true critic or a true critical thinker or somebody that's in, you need to think outside the box to try to produce more accurate and more um, perfected analysis, theory is essential. And we know this because everything in science is a theory. And some people would accuse it of saying, oh, well, that means all of science and everything we've ever proven is bullshit. No, that's not the truth. It's that there's a method, the, the actual scientific method, not saying that's what's obeyed as much anymore, but the or original concept of it that goes all the way back to Aristotle, for example, or before that even, is just the act of observation and then formulating a theory. The whole point of it is to have a theory, right? You have a theory on the data and then you keep plugging data into it to perfect the hypothesis or the theory. Even if you get it to a point where it's still going to be called a theory, but you have irrefutable evidence, you actually could develop what's called a scientific law, right? Now, getting into all the details of whether they're all actual accurate or not, I'm not going there. I'm just trying to think of this in general applied to studying conspiracy theory, which is that we're perfectly happy in the scientific educational world to teach children the theory of evolution. Or if you go to a Catholic school or a religious centered school, they'll teach you the theory of creation, even though they'll probably never call it a theory because they just take it all as hundred percent bonafide truth. Right. But both camps do, but either way, you're still teaching a theory and that's considered credible in the academic world. So why would conspiracy theory, and again, I'm not talking about the wackadoodle conspiracy theories of which there's boatloads of those. So fair play to you on that. I'm talking about legitimate, provable, historical examples galore, openly admitted, evidence coming out the yin-yang that something's going wrong here and there is a conspiracy at work. I'm talking about legitimate conspiracies that, yes, I've got theoretical ideas about, but that in the end, I still have the data and the proofs of it to at least prove there's something to investigate here. Um, why is that not valid? So what is conspiracy theory? To me, it, if you were to look at it outside of the, the, the uh, weaponized word, the, the way that it's used, and just look at it as a word, conspiracy theory, it's actually a val valid word. Yep, we're theorizing about the nature and all the names, dates, and places, and true agendas of the conspirators who we have proven exist and who are active in the world. And we're just trying to figure out and theorize what's their true agenda, what's their true motives, uh, what aspect of the research is correct, what aspect is not. You know, so it's a valid field of research. Okay. That's how I see it. That was a bit long winded. I apologize. <laughs> 
Um, so let me just do this little bit here. So I'm looking at uh, right now a number of books for this presentation I've been working on. And hold on, just I just got to quickly flip a light on one sec. There we go. Okay, so we got the light on now. Um, I'll just quickly tell you guys what we're going to be looking at in this upcoming. I'm, I'm work, looking at the work of Michael Howard, who's an insider. Um, I'm looking at the work of Nicholas Hagar, an academic historian from the top shelf. He's not some average Joe. He's uh, got all the academic credentials that you need. Uh, Professor Anthony Sutton, also, you know, Hoover Institute, academic, very smart individual, uh, professor. And he was also approached by the Skull and Bone Society at Yale to become a recruit. And it was that uh, instance that got him down the trail. And then he revealed it, all the stuff he discovered in numerous books. Um, I'm looking at Jim Mars fine book here, rule by secrecy. It's one of my favorites. It's one of his earlier books and it's basically just a collection. He's a journalist. So, uh, he's just collecting data points and putting them in this book and asking some really good questions. So I got a little bit I want to go into there. Uh, who else, man, there's so many more. Oh, uh, Gary Allen, None Dare Call It Conspiracy. That's a fantastic book to just give to new people because he really defines a lot of things in there about the stuff we're talking about. Um, and I know there's so many more, you know, so many more. Actually, you know what? Let me do, let me do this. This is a good time to do this. Uh, we open recent. Oh, maybe it's in here. Yeah, what I wanted to do was just quickly give you guys a few references because that's really important. Uh, I didn't invent any of this stuff. I am just sharing the work of greater minds. There it is. I just got to open this up really quick so I get the names in front of me here because I don't want to miss anybody. Ah, oh, that's the wrong one. Well, we've had... I, I won't do it then here, but we. I just wanted to tell you guys... We've got no shortage of high-level whistleblowers on this from different places in the world, different times in history, right up to the present moment. And when you put all that together and you look at the world again and you look at this information again, to me at least, and maybe I'm wrong, but to me, it's undeniable that this conspiracy is happening. And I have no trouble calling it that, even though there probably are better words for it. I think it's even bigger than that, than just a conspiracy theory. Actually, the way I look at it, let me say this. I look at it like this isn't just a, a bunch of individual criminal enterprises and organizations that just sort of popped out of nowhere by a bunch of greedy, power-hungry sociopaths. Uh, this is an overall, at least from uh, some very interesting points in history, we could track it. This is an overall human resources management program. And then the only, when you understand that that exists, okay, that there's uh, clearly you and I don't invent everything and run everything and move and shake big things in the world that that's relegated to a small few people. Okay. Um, the only debate with left would be, so, it, so that does exist, but the only debate left would be, is that agenda and are those people acting for the benefit of humanity or at the expense of humanity, at the expense of uh, human freedom and, and human thriving. 
Are they justified in what they're doing? That's always the question to think of as well. I'm not saying, I don't believe they are, uh, but I think they're all insane. But they might believe themselves to be justified. So I like to sometimes read chapters out of their books to try to think, like you know, when you read H.G. Wells and you read, some of these people might be well-meaning. They just may have been led astray by experts, right? Like all the people that were shouting you down for not wanting to wear a mask or and suffocate yourself and your kids um, for something that wasn't effective and it was shown later to not be effective. And then, you know, all these jabs or pick your, pick your thing. They were acting that way in their mind because they were doing something good. They were trying to help solve the big problem, right? So they're, they're the good guys and they saw you as the bad guy. And that's what the whole mass formation thing does is it, it creates us versus them. And anybody that doesn't follow the cult doctrine is evil. And we got to, you know, reprimand them and shame and you do all that stuff. So, um, there's the conspiracy of the masses. That's another thing to point out here. The conspiracy of, of the tyranny of the masses, but I, you could also call it the conspiracy of the masses because when you get everybody in lockstep mass formation around an idea that is not correct, and then they start to target a minority that is resisting it, that sees that it's not correct, that is a conspiracy that they are taking part in that they are unwitting participants in because they're in like a Stockholm syndrome kind of, you know, ash experiment mindset here. And so you could say on the conscious level of their mind, they're doing the right thing. They believe in what they're doing, but the actions that they're taking are producing a negative effect in the world and are not based in truth. So therefore it's incorrect. And the question would be, are they, unwittingly serving an agenda that's woven together by people that don't believe that they don't drink their own Kool-Aid. What's the old cult leader? Die? Never drink your own Kool-Aid. <laughs> Only let your followers drink it. Uh, a lot of these guys, they don't believe in it. Like even the whole, we were talking about this in the show on earth Chronicles on Wednesday, the whole idea of a communist international and, and this conspiracy to overthrow the West and overthrow the principles of America and Western civilization through a communist infiltration. Um, we were talking about the idea that co these communists and these brown shirts and black shirts and Stasi and report your neighbor type people, they're, uh, they are the ideologues. They drank the Kool-Aid. They're the true believers. You know, they're dying their hair blue. They're openly supporting the mutilation of their kids, all these things without knowing. They think they're doing good though. They don't know they're stuck in a form of mind control and mass formation around an idea that if they really picked it apart with some logic would fall apart immediately. But because of the whole ash experiment effect, they're just keeping it going. And so then you go, are those people evil? Well, they're kind of serving evil and they're refusing to see how they're serving that uh, lie or whatever it is. And so, and then because they're pushing this through the public mind and they're assisting in the propaganda to keep it going, they're contributing to more people falling for these bad negative ideas. And then they're all kind of part of it. And then what happens is then now you're on a team and that's what people really want. They don't research anything. People don't really think for themselves and actually investigate their ideas and their beliefs. 
most ideas and beliefs are just repackaged, memorize and repeats. Okay. Very few organic thinking going on, uh, organic thinkers out there. And so they know the, the people that run the media know this. And so they're really good at just creating a bunch of shiny objects that make you feel virtuous while serving the good of the all. Meanwhile, you're serving a political agenda to overthrow Western civilization or whatever the conspiracy we're going to throw on the table is. So you're unwitting, weaponized, blinded by your virtue. But the main point of me breaking that down is that the elites above, the people that wrote the scripts for the teleprompters, the people that wrote this narrative and put it together and constructed it and paid for books to be written about it and for media to report about it and the whole deal, those level people, the top level Fabians, the top level Illuminists, the top level cultists, they themselves don't believe any of this shit. They know how crazy it is. They know it's insane. They're kind of jeering at you. They're kind of mocking you, right? And they're playing a game and they're recruiting useful idiots to fight the battle for them. Because if they came out, guys, and told every Tom, Dick, and Harry, and Karen out there the full agenda of where it's going to go to its completion, I think of that George W. Bush quote, or George H. W. Bush quote, where he said, if America ever found out what we in government were really doing, we would be drawn through the streets and lynched because he knew he was a part of the one of those first initial waves after they, you know, he was a part of the first initial wave to start to dismantle America from within. And he knew everybody would be pissed about it, right? They know that if the truth of what's really happening in the world, because of the work of these cults and these political tyrants and these groups and these different things, they know that humanity wouldn't go for it. So what do you do when you know your end game is something very repulsive to every human being walking? Well, what you need to do is create layers of ideas in the minds of people and you work on it over time to get people to help you achieve your enterprise or your goal, but without knowing what's really happening. Like I, I often think about the, the servants of many of these totalitarian regimes, the people, the young people, like in Maoist China, for example, the youth were targeted in the schools or the Hitler youth or whatever. They were all targeted and brainwashed. And then they were told, here's the enemy, seek and destroy. Off you go then. And then they served the agenda valiantly, thinking, I'm doing what mommy and daddy told me to do, and I'm the good little boy or girl. I'm reporting my neighbors. I'm a good citizen, right? Even though George Orwell's 80, 1984 is coming to life in front of my eyes, it's okay because I'm serving the good here. And I did it out of good intentions, of course. But then what happens to those useful idiots for the regime? The regime comes in and executes them and arrest them and shuts them down because the, the bigger agenda that Mao was trying to bring in is what Mao did. They, 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 they killed off and arrested their top supporters from the first wave of the great leap forward. And then why? Cause he had to make way for the second wave. And those activists were driven crazy 
to the point where they would be very destructive. They'd start breaking down statues and burning buildings down and uh, the the public shaming sessions and the whole thing. They'd be very, uh, very animalistic, like very barbaric, very brutal because they got regressed into a primitive state of consciousness. That's how that mind control works. And then they were unleashed, just like Albert Pike talks about, you know, unleash the nihilists, unleash the the chaos. That's phase one. Phase two, you got to rein those guys in because they're on a program that doesn't stop. They're just going to be in your way. Because these guys, actually, these mousey tongues and these guys, even as crazy as they might be, they do want to install some kind of new order, right? The new world order for them or the new Chinese order. They'll often say these things. And so why would they keep around a bunch of crazy activists that are just built for chaos? Once you've served the purpose of phase one, which is the Anarchy 99 design to go in and foment as much chaos and burnings and lootings and violence and tearing stuff down and just pissing off the, the people, the, the people that live in the area, the, the cultural, the main cultural, uh, what do you call it? The main body of the people. You piss everybody off so much and you cause so much mayhem. That button doesn't just get unpushed. And now you become a nuisance to the regime when they go to the next phase to install the new order. So they're going to take you out. So that is an aspect that happens where so many of these lieutenants in this conspiracy have been taken out by the very conspiracy that they lived and died to serve. And here we are marching forward because they were a necessary casualty of the war. Many of them went willingly. Many of them, many of these guards that got killed under Mao, they, they voluntarily got shot in the head in a pit because they, hey, if it helps the goal of communism, I'll give my life gladly. There's your Jim Jones cult level of this. There's your ritual sacrifice of the cult level of this. And the only reason cults like that exist, political cults or any other cult, is because there's a cult aspect built within every human being to join, to want a cult, because that's just a weaponized form of a natural desire to have a family, to have a tribe, to have an identity, to be part of something, to be recognized. That's a virtue. All a cult is, is a weaponized virtue. That's all it is. So when they know that, they just go, well, how do we create a super cult out of like, how many people live in China? And how do we fleece the masses and get them to help us fleece them? Like imagine the farmer could somehow convince the animals on the farm to help him a little bit more in the industrial farming practice, right? Like that's what these guys are. They think of themselves as farm animals and they're like, how do I get my farm animals to uh, walk right into the slaughterhouse so that they're out of the way for the next phase? You want to know why they studied mind control for decades? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, some interesting points to think about there. Now, I had a few slides. I don't even know which presentation this is from. I just have random slides from, uh, this is, I actually, I think these are some of the points from Female Illuminati on one of the podcasts that I did with Michael years ago. And he just had a few slides that he'd sent over and they're just really good notes. And I went and checked it out and it's totally, they're all very valid. And it's about the argument about masonry. We're going to dive into that subject for a minute. Um, 
Because here's the thing. I'll give you a quick sketch of my opinion anyways. Masonry is not just one monolithic thing. Okay, it's there's so many different lodges. Like think of it, it's a religion. All right. And it's in its origin, I don't think it was all nefarious at all. I think it was actually, it started with the guilds. It started with the people that had the knowledge of building and they had advanced knowledge of mathematics and building and all that kind of stuff. So it was very practical masonry. And then there was the speculative masonry that got really popular amongst the intellectuals of Europe and, and the elites and the royals and all that. And there's always an argument about the origins of masonry. It's not just this one thing. It's not just good. It's not just bad. It's not just, it's, it's a huge thing to get into the history of it, where it comes from, where it really originated. Um, and so there was a few good points here just for you guys to chew on. If you're really into the, into nerding out on this, it's really cool. Um, because the, the accusation by many of these mainstream academics, when you get into any kind of conspiracy within masonry in any level um is that they tend to think oh well but masonry isn't ancient it, it's it's just it was a bunch of guilds that were put together in the medieval times or the elizabethan times or whatever it is and they don't trace it back far enough so they just go ah it's just the new it was a fad and not, no big deal and it's just a bunch of old guys getting together you know drinking and studying old manuscripts and wearing costumes and doing rituals just like every other religion right it's just another thing and there could be some truth to that on, on with many lower level masonic lodges and you know i think most local masonic lodges are, you know they have no idea what the bigger alpha lodges are up to and this was a very big distinction that michael Tessarian and jordan maxwell when i spoke to both of them made in their work was that they differed from many of the other uh more popular authors on the subject of this conspiracy and the Masonic elements in that a lot of those were Christian writers or Jewish writers or Islamic writers or whatever, who um, sort of looked at it as a competing religion and they threw the baby out with the bathwater and just universal criticism. It's filled and totally top to bottom evil and everything's wrong and all that kind of stuff. And so that it got really generalized. And they were like, well, no, you got to look at the nuance of it because many, uh, much of how we've learned about a conspiracy that started to unfold itself within the lodges of masonry, starting back in the 1700s, uh, these could be before as well, but just talking about what we have in terms of evidence. Um, we learned this from masons that came from within and blew the whistle, right? Uh, much of what we knew about say the corruption going on within the Jesuit orders and the Catholic church and the Vatican specifically. Okay. Um, and, and orders of like the order of the Knights of Malta, the Knights Templar, et cetera, that I get into in cult of the medics. Guess where some of the top whistleblowers came from to tell us everything we know about it. It came from members of the Knights of Malta. It came from barons. It came from elites. It came from priests. It came from insiders. That's how we even knew about it. Charles Chinique, Malachi Martin, Baron Aver Manhattan. You know, today we have um, Archbishop Vigano and, and other voices, right? You have these people from within. So for this is where I went, okay, yeah, good point. Don't just label everybody as evil because there were many good people, 
like even Manly P. Hall and some of these guys that talked about this openly in many of their books about the corruption that happened by black magicians. He calls it black magicians. Um, and many others talked about it. So this is where you get into the nuance of it. And I always try to point it out because um, I'm constantly approached by people. I, I've had people that say, oh, I'm a Mason and I've been in the lodge and I don't see any kind of evil going on that you're talking about and all that. And I'm like, yeah, where's your lodge? And I was like, oh, it's like, you know, in Hamilton, Ontario. Oh, okay. And like local, what degree are you? Oh, I'm like a third degree. I'm like, okay. So, you know, you're at the local McDonald's and uh, you're talking to the local manager of that McDonald's and thinking that you have all access to the total ins and outs of the entire corporation of McDonald's that has a board and you never get their faceless people. You don't get to see, right? So there's levels to it. Um, but anyways, I try to talk about this with them in a balanced way to say, look, I'm not here to throw shade at everything. There's been a lot of good done by various Masonic lodges. In fact, the, uh, many of the Masonic lodges in Germany, when the Nazis take, took over were burned down and the books were taken. And a lot of people never saw them again. Some of them were just burned and destroyed. And there were only, I think, two lodges left. But all the other lodges, which were just these little guild lodges, local lodges, these are just common people coming together. Probably nothing nefarious going on. Actually, if anything, they were just trying to keep uh, the information of all these ancient traditions and all the knowledge from antiquity hidden from the authorities and the power of the church at the time. That was really why a lot of these guys went underground to begin with was that they were getting like, think of the witch burnings and imagine like something like that, but purgings of entire orders and elite circles and royal families and the wiping out of entire bloodlines and through these wars and things like that. And then you end up with only the most corruptible guys at the top of these lodges. And we've got quotes from different dukes at the time and other insiders that were saying, yeah, our orders got infiltrated, right? So I always like pointing that out just to give you a little bit more nuance to it and a little more balance. And then you'd make up your mind if you think it's all evil or not. I mean, there's even a group you can look into uh, in American history called the Anti-Masons. You can look at that because they saw right away, hey, there's something going on. There's something being cooked up from within these lodges. And we're also in a time where we're starting to see Masonic symbolism in all the Super Bowl halftime shows, the Hollywood productions, the music videos, the, 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 the politics, the symbols, the whole deal. So we're like, well, if there is no conspiracy happening within any kind of Masonic lodges, uh, particularly the Alpha lodges I'm talking about, and particularly a select few in those lodges that know what's going on, because it's highly compartmentalized, right? Being very specific here that um, most people would have no idea that that was what was happening. Because that's how, that's how the military works. That's how the intelligence complex works. That's how pharma works. That's how everything works. This is very compartmentalized and everybody involved is on a need to know basis. And I do have some quotes. I'll see if I can find from Adam Weishaupt, Giuseppe Mancini, Albert Pike, and some of them actually just having letters and communications back and forth about how to utilize the structure of Freemasonry with this very compartmentalized style and the attraction that they had with the elites that were involved. There was, it wasn't just the common man clubs. Those were destroyed. The elite clubs, the nocturnal clubs were maintained and, um, they got 
corrupted like like anything else so think of it like that it's a corrupting of ancient knowledge of how to build and when you have the knowledge to build you also have the knowledge to destroy it comes with it there's a duality built into that so to a benevolent humanitarian who just wants to seek the truth wants to understand the ancient literature from all over the world and the world of symbolism and and wants to get into any of this masonic knowledge those people were there for good intentions started to see the corruption happening and the evil forces infiltrating blew the whistle about it and then everybody just skips over them and jumps right to let's just demonize the whole thing so i always make that because i think it's important but back to this slide series here i just want to go through it the argument is however you look at masonry okay or any of these secret orders where did it start what is the true antiquity of it is it just something that was born in medieval times or did it go back even further so this is from tony bushby he says this about masonry's antiquity in excavations at dendera about a hundred years ago British Egyptologist Sir William Flinders Petrie found a 5,000 year old vignette of a carpenter's square and plummet placed on the left breast of a mummy, which often represented the candidate for initiation. So no doubt if you, if you've studied, um, any of the rituals that are done in a lot of these Masonic circles, you can't help, but notice the obvious Egypt, Babylon, Greek, uh, elements to it, right? The illusion, this is from Glenn, Glenn Alexander Maggie, uh, in his book, Hegel and the Hermetic Tradition, the Eleusinian mysteries were very important to the Masons who traced their initiation back to them. So he's saying the Masons traced their initiation ceremonies back to the Eleusinian mysteries. Okay. So that's happening well before the middle ages. Okay, so we're, what we're doing is debunking the fact that masonry just kind of showed up on the scene recently. It's very ancient. And when you have something this ancient, on to say that there's no chance of any level of conspiracy happening in these occult fraternities is to me an extremist position. The real position would be, well, I've seen the track record of human history and wherever human beings showed up, there's always a mix of good and bad. And so makes sense that this could be possible within these orders because they were also attracting incredibly wealthy, powerful people, mind you. So people that could actually make shit happen, not just a bunch of guys living in their mom's basement, doing a bunch of seances, elite princes, dukes, barons, princesses, queens, kings, Monarchs, rulers, presidents, popes, ministers, etc., industry men, right? And when you have those different realms meeting together behind closed doors in secret and doing secret initiatory practices that go back to the ancient world, I mean, who's going to have the oversight? Who's watching the watchers, man? And these are the guys that own, they own oil. They, they own plastic. They own the internet they <laughs> i may not own the internet i mean just they own they, these are the people that built everything they're the builders so obviously we're gonna have a mix of good and bad and no it didn't just start in modern times if they trace if their own ceremonies like just watch the queen's coronation 
referencing Enoch, referencing all these different things. They're, they're tracing it back to ancient lineage. All that, all that puppet show they do at the Vatican with the popes and all that. Christianity in that form is thousands of years old. It goes back to ancient Rome. And then beneath that Vatican is the Mithraic cult. And beneath the Mithraic cult is the Illies, you know, like we keep going down the track to see the track record of it. It's fascinating. So he's saying, Albert Churchward here now is saying, if masonry has not its origin in the sacred mysteries of the ancient Egyptians, how could these rites and ceremonies, signs and symbols have found their way into it? And Albert Churchward is a mason. I have one of his books sitting on the shelf to reference, you know? So he's saying, he's speculating, he's a Mason and he's saying, yeah, we're, we're openly talking about this in public because don't forget, there's what they say in public and there's what they don't say. But we're, we're admitting here that all of our ceremonies, signs and symbols have connections to the ancient Egyptian mystery tradition. So there, there goes up in smoke the idea that, oh, this is just a product of the medieval times. Butler and Knight on the Hiram Key Revisited say the modern first degree of Freemasonry almost certainly dates back to the Old Testament times, while the third degree is many thousands of years old and its key elements of resurrection beneath the light of Venus are undoubtedly pre-Canaanite in origin. Flavio Barbiero, Secret Society of Moses. Alastan, the first king to unite the whole of England, was the illegitimate son of Edward the Elder, who died in 1924. He's the king of Wessex and undoubted of Saxon origin. On succeeding his father in the kingdom of Wessex, he quickly took control of the whole island, being recognized by the Saxon, Welsh, and Scottish kings alike. Eventually, he established himself in York, where he founded the first Masonic Lodge. Because it was in York in 306 that Constantine had been proclaimed emperor. So that's going back in time, okay? The word Freemason appeared for the first time in the Statutes of England, dated 1487, and the term Master Mason first appeared after the name of William Orchard of Magdalene College in 1479. So they're, even though they're adopting this Eastern tradition, Eastern and Western, it's a blend, right? They're, they're adopting this tradition into the West at this time in the 1400s, to say, oh, well, then Freemasonry has only been around since the 1400s is retarded because where did they get all the stuff from? Where did that, where's the original mystery school traditions that they're adopting it from and then remixing it and repackaging it into their orders? Well, that goes back to ancient Rome, Greece, Babylon, Egypt, Ottoman, etc. That's where we got to go. So I don't want to keep going through it. You can get more um, unslave.com. If you're a member there, you can go and look up uh, specifically the female Illuminati program. It's about nine hours long. This has gone through in great detail. Then he gets into the female Masonic orders, the dames of Malta, etc., the different witch covens and all that to bring out the fact that there's a female group, a female cult involved in a lot of this. And that's an interesting trend that nobody wants to track, but it's very much uh, in relevant to the, just the subject of the history of masonry in general, the history of the Vatican, you know, what's up with all the female symbolism, et cetera. So it's just an interesting thing, but there's, that's all in that presentation. And then uh, let me go to my notes here. 
Yeah, you got the birth of the utopian vision. Now, quickly, I want to, before we get into more of the nuts and bolts, let me just uh, quickly break this down. I did it in Earth Chronicles the other day, but it's so important. Um, what's the agenda? If, there's a, if there was a conspiracy being cooked up in Masonic lodges for hundreds of years that f eventually made its way into the world of politics and finance and everywhere else, and now here we are on the verge of the Great Reset, which is doomed to fail in the end, and don't worry, the good guys I think are going to win. But let's just put it in this context. If, if we are thinking about this, we have to start asking the question, well, what if what they're doing is actually they know something we don't know and they're actually working in harmony to try to help save what they can, you know, like maybe they're good guys just doing the best they can. And maybe we've just all been misunderstanding. Like that's always the, the counter argument that you think about as you research this stuff. And then it falls apart upon further investigation pretty quick. But you ask, well, what's the agenda then? What are they trying to accomplish? Well, just read HG Wells open conspiracy. He tells you, he tells you what they're trying to accomplish. They are trying to accomplish a world utopian vision, right? They need, they're trying to foment revolution to take down the world we know and replace it with a different world and replace it with a different political structure, economic structure and everything. And while you, and you could sit back and go, well, seeing all the corruption going on with this federal reserve system and the debt based system and the corruption we see in the governments and the corruption we see in the media and all the stuff we're talking about here, maybe there's an argument for wanting to reset that and make it right. But then we got to analyze, well, maybe that they're not necessarily trying to reset it to give back a benefit to the wider humanity but to actually just change up the power dynamic because they can't maintain their old system anymore. The old guard has died off. People are, human consciousness is expanding. They gave us the internet, big mistake. It's a double-edged sword for sure, but big mistake overall. And so human consciousness is expanding. People are learning about this. And the common man isn't as common in, in many ways as it used to be. We're more literate now. We can read and write. We're, you know, people are listening to podcasts. They're researching stuff. We have access to entire libraries and school curriculum. So they're like, okay, we got to adjust the game and adjust the parameters so that we can maintain our power. So that's what the Great Reset is for me and this UN agenda. It's not about any of the things they say it is. Brotherly love coming together, ending war, ending poverty, saving the climate from meltdown, whatever it is. It's to install a system that will be more palatable to the vast majority of people, but still keep the old agenda in place of total control, depopulation, and maintaining the human farm. But they're never going to tell you that's what it is. They're going to tell you, oh, well, we need to create a world socialist system to make everybody more equal and fair and get rid of those evil, greedy individualists and promote communitarianism and you know, end property ownership and all of that. So they're using socialism and communism and elements of fascism, and they're mixing it together to give a better sales pitch to the public that, that they would actually accept the vast majority of people, right? Who, who are ignorant to all this stuff. And that's why they're doing the reset. However, 
there are those, this is another side um, tangent that I'm working on developing out more, that there are those and have always been those amongst these various elite circles, whether they're from royal families, whether they're from banking families, whether they're from Masonic fraternities or whatever, high flyers, they're in the club to a degree, that disagree with the arguments of the United Nations, of Klaus Schwab, of all these guys. They, they don't want that. They, they, are, they are humanitarians. They read the ancient mystery knowledge correctly and didn't bastardize it and distort it for power grabbing. And they are resisting from within. And they have been, and that's why we even know anything that we know about conspiracy is because of whistleblowers coming from within these lodges for decades, if not centuries. And I think that there's been a split of elite groups trying to be the gardener, caretaker, manager's authority over humanity. That one view is dominant control, humans are animals, and they are to be run like that. They are to be controlled and herded like that. And then the other view is no, humanity is a culmination of creative potential and we just need to educate and get rid of the veil of ignorance and inspire humanity to its greatest heights, show them how to connect to the truth and then we can build benevolent systems that actually work for humanity and work in harmony with nature and we don't need to depopulate. In fact, we should actually increase the population and go off planet and all. Like, so there's sort of like these factions that make me think that there's sort of like white hats and black hats, if you want to keep it really simple, uh, within these fraternities. And there's been a war going on for a long time. And for the longest time, let's just say the dark side of the force won out and was the dominant force and has been the dominant force controlling the steering committee level of these institutions for hundreds of years because they are hell-bent on achieving their agenda, which to me is extremely anti-human and makes me start to ask some of those other questions, but that's a different podcast. Either way, if we just keep it on a human level, keep it really